listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello everyone, I'm Fran Barber. And I'm Howard Wallace. And Howard and I are here this week to talk about the readings for Pentecost 4. And in particular, we'll be focusing on Genesis 21, 8 to 21, and Matthew 10, 24 to 39. And to begin chronologically, we're going to start with the Genesis reading, which um, Howard is a quite an explosive story, uh, quite a, a troubling one, uh, and one that we we have tended to read morally in ways yes. that the text never really intended. Could you give us a broader mm. sense of its context, please? Yes, I can do that. Um, this is the well, we're continuing the stories of Abraham over these these weeks. This story itself in chapter 21, which is about uh, his uh, wife Sarah's maidservant Hagar and her son Ishmael particularly, um, is the second really in a, in a twofold part of the story. Because, and the first part in chapter 16 we didn't hear during the lectionary this year. And that was about where Sarah offers Hagar to Abraham um, to have a child by, because the the promise of becoming a great nation is looking fairly quite, unlikely. Yes, <laughs> they're getting older, and nothing seems to be happening on on those lines. And Abraham does take Hagar uh, as his wife, and she conceives, and that leads to some animosity, some jealousy, especially on Sarah's part when. She knows that uh, Hagar has conceived a, a child. Um, and Hagar, of course, is not sort of backward in coming forward and promoting herself um, and the success that she seems to be having. So we need to keep it in line with, with chapter 16. 16. It's where, worth reading that oh, yes, alongside. It is, yeah. yes. And we, we, at the end of chapter 16, Ishmael is, is born and we hear about his future and his becoming the ancestor of a great nation. We would see him as the ancestor of Arabian people, Arabs. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. Uh, the The whole question of morals that sort of sometimes creeps into this story I, I think is one that probably needs to be put aside. Mm. I mean, we know from ancient Near Eastern documents um, that this sort of arrangement was not an uncommon arrangement in that time. In fact, if we read on to chapter 25 in Genesis, we hear of a third wife that Abraham has. Her name is Keturah, and he has a number of children, mostly sons that I mentioned there, um, through her. So we're not sort of dealing with a moral issue. It's far more subtle, I think, yeah, in what it's doing. Yes, it's not as outrageous no. as, as it might appear to no, modern no. ears yes. that you might take another wife yes. in yeah. this environment, yeah. There are things that we can get outraged about in this story. We certainly the can. The treatment yep. uh, in mm. chapter 21, especially of Hagar. Mm. Um, but that's one thing that we might look at seriously, but then there are other things that the story itself has to, to say, I think. So even though, you know, it's not, as you've been saying, terribly unusual for Abraham mm -hmm. to take another wife, it still doesn't reflect terribly well on him, though, here, does it, that... Um, he sends Hagar out in this way and complies with well, Sarah. And so it's, 
Is that not something? When we get on to chapter 21, that's when I think the, the crunch comes in relation to Abraham. Mm. Um, and I, I wouldn't put it baldly as him just sending her out. Mm. Um, I think the whole question arises just how strong Abraham is really um, and how strong relatively Sarah is in her insistence that Hagar be dismissed. Um, Abraham becomes a bit of a, a wimp in this process. Well, I guess that's uh, what I'm saying, yeah, that, that, yeah. that is... That doesn't reflect well on him no, as, as a hero of our mm. faith, to put it yeah. in colloquial terms. It's just, I mean, it's an extraordinary story that is mm. quite common biblically, I guess, where those who hear the word of God or hear or obey are, yeah. are um, frail and inadequate. Yes. And what, what we, well, that's true. And I mean, what Abraham exhibits in this thing, and it's quite a subtle sort of little arrangement that the writer has put in here. Um, when we get to verse 10 in chapter 21, there is mention of Isaac as her, and they're talking about Sarah, her son, uh, which is quite natural. She's born Isaac um, in the meantime. And Ishmael in the very next verse mm. is referred to as his, that is Abraham's son. So it's almost as if you've got sort of parental division over these two, oh, Abraham favouring Ishmael, to some extent, and Sarah, of course, being very possessive about her own child. There's an interesting picture that Rembrandt painted, or sorry, etched, of of this story. He has a picture of the point at which um, Hagar and Ishmael are about to depart Mm. from the house. They've come outside the house where Abraham lives, presumably, and they're about to start off down the the road away. Um, Sarah with a rather nasty grin on her face, is inside the house looking out through a window and there's a rather chubby little Isaac just inside the the doorway. Abraham stands between these parties with his back to us and you can see that his right foot is pointing down the road where Hagar and Ishmael are about to go. His left foot is is resting on the step into the house. His right hand is again in the direction of Hagar and Ishmael, and his left hand again pointing in there. He, I think Rembrandt recognises Abraham himself is torn mm. between Ishmael, his firstborn, and Isaac, the one through whom the promise is come, and who his wife Sarah is pushing very strongly into his favour. Um, sounds like that would be a fantastic um image to put on the front of an order of service if you're still printing them out there, folks, or even throw up (laughs) on the screen. Yes, the NGV has it on its, uh, National Gallery of Victoria has on its website. Oh, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes of that. Yes, there are other pictures he's drawn too, just sketches where he even has Abraham walking down the path with Hagar and Ishmael, um, with Sarah left behind at the gate behind him. So there's a lot to play with there, isn't oh, there, yes. about the mm. very human dynamics mm. and actually yes. ones that many people listening yes. might f- feel from their mm. own lives in terms of mixed families no, no, and stepchildren yes. and all of oh, those yes. things. And yeah, it ties in with the whole issue of, of faith in this promise that's been given, mm. um, that he'd be a great nation, in other words, through his descendants. That is quite firmly linked to Sarah at the start of the, the Abraham cycle. Um but, of course, as we said, nothing's happened at this point as yet and nothing's happened in regard to possessing land either, which was part, part of the promise. So you, know, you can imagine yourself in Abraham's situation of how on earth is this promise going to be fulfilled? 
what's going to happen. And I think that's a temptation that faces all of us. Mm. How are we going to deal with the things that we believe are the promises of God? Mm. Um, how much are we involved in them? Are we going to create sort of ways in which we think they might be mm. fulfilled? And we end up torn mm. between like options sometimes. being passive and, yes, you know, yes. or, or mm. actually, as you say, responding from our point of view faithfully but, mm. you know, what is the faithful response? Yes, yeah, so the temptation goes both ways, either yeah. to be overly passive and think God does everything for us or to be overly active and, and become like God ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also about this passage too, Howard, I think is the truth of, oh, um, the good news of who God appears to be in this story. Mm-hmm. How does God show up here? Mm-hmm. And... Um, to me, God is one who hears the outsider who is represented by Hagar. I mean, he's dismissed. Yes, and, yes. you know, there's deep anguish and awful suffering watching the child die of yes, thirst. Yes, and, um, yeah. and that interesting part of the passage where the child cro- cries out, I think, mm. but then it says God heard Hagar. Oh, yes. Um, but that, um, you know... This whole sort of tight idea of insiders and outsiders that we always bring in our humanness mm. to mm. Uh, those we meet, yes. to communities, yeah. you know. And this is a passage which shows that God shows up and is there equally for those we mm. deem to yeah. be inside and those who who are not part of the inner circle, um, which is not to say there's not a distinction about the, the covenant there isn't a distinction between Ishmael and Isaac. I mean, the covenant is with Isaac, mm. but the blessing is shared and that Ishmael is the father of a nation as well. Yes, well, well back in Genesis 12, I mean, Abraham was blessed, he, but he was to be a blessing for the nations yes. as well. And right through Genesis, as I said a couple of um, passages ago, uh, there is this sort of sense of uh, certainly not anim between Israel and the nations around. Rather, we see the nations, um, the Arabs here, but later the Edomites, um, the Moabites and others, who are generated through various parts of the family, the wider family. Mm. But there's no real division between, Mm. at least not in terms of animosity, which you do get when you get to Deuteronomy and other passages where the Israelites really are against others in that context. But here there seems to be a, a much more accepting mm. of, of differences between groups. So it's a real question of working out one's own calling and to faith in that context that blessing is there for all. Mm. Mm. Is there any part of the text linguistically, Howard, is there any mm. turns of phrase or well, things you'd like to alert sure us to? About, um, linguistic elements, but there are some other elements we need to notice. We're going to read uh, next week in the in the lectionary um, Genesis 22, mm. which is a really difficult passage about um, the potential sacrifice of, of Isaac, uh, the last major story in Abraham's cycle. And there are a number of parallels between um, the episode and the events with Hagar and Ishmael that sort of work in with that passage um, like God calls to Hagar in the desert as she's there waiting for her child to die, mm. just as he'll call upon Abraham as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, um, 
God, it's we're told, is with Ishmael in these stories, as he is with Israel. And um, there's this constant sort of parallel between what's happening with uh, Hagar and Ishmael and what will happen in the next chapter, of course, um, with Abraham and Isaac. There is one thing of language, one point of language that I found Mm -hmm. interesting and that was the phrase in verse 16, God heard the voice of the boy and Ishmael means he heard. Yeah, yeah. God hears. God hears. Yeah, yeah. Well, hear. God hears. Mm. Um, Now, angels also appear in this. Um, The angel of God Mm -hmm. called to Hagar. That's just a messenger in traditional form that we Mm -hmm. often see in scriptures. Um. Are there any other elements that we should in the tw- closing part of the text? Not that I'm... He lived in the wilderness and became yes. an expert yep. with the bow. Mm-hmm. Describing his, his lifestyle. We, we must remember back in Chapter 16 it described Ishmael too as a, a wild ass of a man, um, which has often been taken in a negative sort of mm. way. Um, I'm not quite sure it needs to be taken in that sort of... Um, line it could simply be just saying that here is a nomadic people represented by ishmael although i am intrigued by that reference in chapter 16 of genesis because while being a wild ass of a man may be um a good thing in this environment it might or a neutral thing or a neutral thing it might be a descriptor Mm. not a judgment It is interesting that in that same verse it says yeah. in Genesis 16 um, with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall live at odds with all his kin. Mm. That's yes, but how do, you <laughs> how do you reconcile that? But maybe that's a statement about Ishmael so, hearing God particularly yeah. and conveying what he hears and that that's at odds with what people want to hear. Yes, or a statement of history too as, as it's turned out with different... Yeah. Communities, yeah, yeah. But I don't think Genesis is there um, wanting to support mm. such a, mm. a thing. So, um, I mean, Hagar here is could represent or represents, mm. does she not, potentially, well, anyone who's an outsider who's considered expendable yes, yeah. and forgotten and uh, women in particular perhaps. Yes, yes. Um, Which Phyllis Tribble took up many did years yes. ago yeah. in her book, Texts of Terror, I think. Right, course, yes. okay. Did you want to enlarge on that a bit? No, well, not, not particularly Maybe. on that sort of side of it. I mean, I think it's there and it's partly a, our reading of it. I mean, um, I'm not quite sure and convinced that, that the writers would have been sort of um, portraying it with a sensitivity towards no, maybe not. her yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we there's nothing wrong with reading the text within that light. Um it's just not all that the text has to say, I don't think. But then that does too, does it not, bring out the radicality of God's presence with her? Oh, yes, yes, you know, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do, I mean, we've said that mm. we, we do ex- find people expendable. You oh, know? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but this reinforces that God certainly does God not. is with those who are you know, oppressed in, in various ways, which, which is true too of, of Abraham in this, this context too. Yeah, um, yes, mm. under the struggle mm. and, the, and the, of faith and of yep. remaining faithful yes, yeah, in yeah. the face of impossibility yes. um, and in the face of human conflict around mm-hmm. him and different mm. levels of commitment he yes. has. Yeah. 
Shall we move to yes. the gospel for yes, this week, we Howard, which mm-hmm. is uh, Matthew chapter 10, 24 to 39. Now, this is a, one might suggest, a fairly difficult <laughs> passage in Matthew's gospel. It's the towards the end, but not the absolute end. The absolute end of this section is for next week's um, lectionary, but it is the discourse about um, of the mission to the twelve, and uh, here it's really uh, summarising in no uncertain terms the conflict and the opposition that discipleship will result in mm-hmm. in your life. Yep. Not, not just so to speak, not just um, vis-a-vis the wider society but actually into family. Yeah, so I think it runs in a number of yeah. directions. And that this passage is also, I think scholars might say, it's it sort of moves between um, the church's situation at the time of Matthew's gospel mm-hmm. being written, mm-hmm. what was actually happening in, under yeah. persecution and, and, and what being a faithful Jesus follower actually mm-hmm. meant. Um, yeah, moving between um, that setting and um, what Jesus was actually saying to the twelve mm-hmm. at the time, and it moves between that sort of public sort of opposition that one gets in persecution mm. through to to much more subtle internal mm. um, oppositions to faith. Um, and most of us probably would be struck from verse twenty six to thirty one that. Do not have fear, do not fear, don't be afraid, are these repeated refrains which we know, um, well, we know instinctively, but we also know that biblically when something is repeated in this way, it is Mm. to be highlighted and um, seen as a dominant theme. So it's like this is a voice, this is a passage that um, exhorts comfort to the people from God, but also perhaps seeks to minimise the, the fear by naming that which is feared because mm. the naming of that mm-hmm. thing is a way of mastering it perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's also it's a recognition of the reality of the material and physical and psychic suffering that yeah. they're undergoing mm. but also a reminder <laughs> of the bigger picture in which they're to understand that experience mm. or we are too, yeah. too, which is that God's ever-abundant graceful love and promised future and commitment to us yes is there is there yeah. is is the is the thing that matters is the so that what what is to be feared is actually any separation from that anything mm. else is you know yes not doesn't I think matter it also sort of poses i think for the the preacher and the christian contempt modern christian some Real issues of of how one takes these things. I mean, some of these sayings, you know, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against mm. his mother, her mother and a daughter-in-law, etc., against a mother-in-law. There's it's all, and he's come to bring a sword, not peace. Um, these things. How does one take these things? Do mm. you, you can 
run with them quite literally in, in a way and become very militant. And Well, yeah, Greg Carey for, writes about that, that this mm, is, if, you, if you're of a militant mm, persuasion, mm. this text is great for you because yes. you can come out with all these kind of um, uncompromising, apparently completely mm, clear mm. ways of living your faithful life and mm. being objectionable mm. and for the sake of it almost. Um, so it, there is that here. I mean, there, there is a call not to be hypocritical mm-hmm. built within this, and <laughs> yeah. that's at about verse yeah. 32. Um, but I also think in our late modern world where um, certain sorts of militis, militantism, is that the word, I think, yes. um, <laughs> actually bring up things like family values, you know, that phrase mm. that's so mm-hmm. often thrown around, thrown yeah. around yeah. and associated with the Christian faith in with no sense of irony when, in fact, if – if you were to go into the Bible with a sense of finding evidence mm-hmm. for family values as they are understood it, you would find the opposite yes, <laughs> in pretty much definitely. every situation. Just, just dealt with a story. That exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the Genesis yeah. cycles and so yeah. on. Um, so, I, yeah. I, well, I think in a way it's sort of, while it's a, a series of um, ways in which uh, faith um, can be threatened, if you like, maybe that's not quite the right word, through persecution or through family mm. objection or whatever, or even through hypocrisy and through personal interest, um, it sort of then rolls over into a question or how are we to understand Scripture itself. We can go a hard line sort of militant mm. sort of way or we can um, assume another sort of option uh, over against that where we're all the time struggling with the question of how do I understand this? How do I understand this in relation to faith? And, well, and <laughs> faith now for us here mm, and now. Yes. Now, you know, in our Western and not just relative comfort, pretty much absolute mm-hmm. comfort, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, um, we don't know what, I mean, really, we don't know what, what it is to is, be no, no. forced to, mm. you know. Um, so that is an interesting question for the preacher, not mm-hmm. to domesticate the text no, in such yes. a way because we can't relate. But is there some way we can hear the voices of the very, very many martyrs in our story, our collective story, who oh. were on the pyres and didn't, you know, renounce? I mean, some of that's got sort of a comical edge to it because of, you know, various yes. shows over the years. But that, that, that this level of obedience which, again, we see yes. next week in Abraham. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of the Christian story. The martyrs were a, a part mm-hmm. of what's brought us where we are. Mm-hmm. These were people who were militant in that sense and weren't co- and were not compromising. So one sort of avenue is to, to explore those, and we know the well-known ones like Mer- yes. Romero and, um, yes. you know, Bonhoeffer. And even Martin Luther King Martin Jr. Luther King. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there'll be local ones. Yes, yes. Um, Indigenous ones, particularly, perhaps mm. if you're in mm. Australia, who who really did live that way in in the face of suffering and and so on. Um, so yeah, I think as you say, it's about how to read this text, but not to dismiss it because it was back then, and that's not oh, no. really like yes. that now. Well, well actually, like the call now. is yes. the same. Yes, you know. Yes, I mean we can division within family that could arise yeah. through religious conviction. Stuff yeah, is, is a real issue, and how does one tread the course of, of, of that? that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Brendan Burns says too. <laughs> if we think this is sort of not really part of our world now, then we've we've overly 
identified the Christian call to the cultural values around us mm. and yeah. not remain sufficiently, I suppose, yeah. for want we, of a word, better word, We can't critical. focus simply on the, the pious of, of the, the martyred. No. Um, so, yeah, how, how mm. do we look at this without sentimentalising? Um, and the other part of the sort of wider context of this too is really the – I mean, what, an, what a call on the disciples. I mean <laughs> – you know, you'll, you you leave what you know, you take nothing with you, you haven't got sandals, you've got no sort of certainty, you've got no mm-hmm. profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you'll be able to heal people and exercise mm-hmm. demons and, and so on, but you'll go, as Chapter 10 says earlier, you'll go as sheep to the wolves, um, you'll face arrests and beatings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it really is a summary of the cost of discipleship. Yes, yes. And I think it's a summary, together with the Abraham story, I think it's a summary of the question of the things that confront us as faithful people that we have to work our way through. For Abraham, it was a question of how does he see the promise of God taking place in his life? Um, Is he going to generate his own sort of uh, answers to that? Having a son through Hagar, etc. And in Matthew, it's how do we cope with some level of persecution or maybe family resistance or family differences or even personal interest and hypocrisy that Mm. we all might exhibit from time to time. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a really helpful Mm. summary on which Mm. we might finish this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.